You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Those of you who uh, maybe don't know me, my name is Brenna Rubio, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church alongside Bill. Uh, and it, I'm excited about this morning, and yet I, I think it's a little weird that I'm excited about this morning. We are leaning into a new sermon series, and it's a sermon series on the book of James, uh, one of the books in the New Testament. And I got to tell you a story to help explain why I think it's weird that I'm excited about getting into the book of James. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was with a group of friends here at City Church. I don't know, there are maybe like nine, ten of us, and all kind of getting to know each other. And we were especially talking about some of our church experiences and our experiences with the Bible. And this group was maybe two-thirds of the group would say that they were raised in what we would call an evangelical church you know, that kind of classic uh, white evangelical church, uh, or in some cases, it was maybe Chinese evangelical, but kind of this, this classic evangelical church. And a third of the people had been raised either without that kind of churchy experience or in churches that had just had a different flavor and a different relationship with the Bible than an evangelical church would tend to. And so for the people who had grown up identifying as evangelical, the phrase that kept coming up, I mean, it was repeated over and over and over again, was spiritual trauma. The sense of their experiences with church had created for them a real sense of just spiritual trauma. The sense that they were wrong, uh, everything they thought was wrong, everything they felt was wrong. Um, this, this heavy weight and damage uh, that they picked up from their church life. And it was, it was so incredibly sad. And yet, for a lot of us, we, we know those stories. We know them from our friends, or we know them from our own experiences. Uh, this sense that sometimes our early church experiences, our early religious experiences, can create weight for us. And so I want to actually start off by saying that those of you who are coming into this sermon series uh, about the book of James uh, without a whole lot of church experience or particularly evangelical church experience, you actually are like, you're coming in in such a good place. And those of us who are coming from this like evangelical heritage, we're actually going to have a lot of unlearning to do in this series. And there are potentially going to be all sorts of trigger words trigger phrases, trigger verses that are just going to instinctually make us cringe. And, and I, we just want to start out by trying to say, like, could we come at this from a different place? Are there some things in how James and stuff like this, I mean, not just the book of James, but the Bible in general has, have been taught to us in the past, have been passed to us in the past that we could actually relearn. We could actually hear in a different way. So as an example of that, in the very first chapter in the book of James, there's this, this verse that many of us have heard before. We know this verse, don't doubt. This nice, simple two-word phrase that just like, ugh, as soon as we read that passage in James, say, oh, we're not allowed to question. Don't doubt. Ugh, the weight that just starts piling on us from, from the very opening of this book. Because what we've been taught to do is we've been taught to hear the book of James and all of these writers in the Bible through this particular lens. It's a very Western lens, a lens of intellectualizing our faith. 
because we have this Western heritage that's been imported into our reading of the Bible to say, I think, therefore I am. So what's most important when we're listening to the Bible, when we're learning, when we're growing, is to have right beliefs. You might have heard it before as a kind of fancy word, orthodoxy. That's what really matters, that we have right beliefs, that we've got it all nailed down. In fact, when I went to seminary, one of the first series of classes that I took were the classes called systematic theology. My understanding of God, could it all be wrapped up in a systematic, neat, clean box? No dangling strings, everything fit together, everything tied up in a neat bow. And I gotta tell you, I rocked systematic theology. Like, right? I mean, I, I think that way, but I'm not sure it actually helped me in following Jesus. I'm actually not sure it was the best formation for me in learning to hear and to respond to God. Because when I hear don't doubt as don't ask questions, have it all wrapped up neatly in a box, is that really what we're supposed to be, be doing? We've also been taught to read the book of James through a lens that I would call bro theology. I don't know if some of you have ever experienced a gym bro. Uh, the gym bro, you're like, you're, you're, you're in the gym, you're doing your own thing, working out. Maybe you're in an area of the gym where you're not supposed to be. Like, for instance, if you're a woman and you're like lifting some weights or something. And there are going to be some people who feel like they absolutely need to come up to you and let you know what you're doing wrong. Your form is off this way and this would be a better exercise to be doing. And it's a gym bro, right? This kind of muscular, aggressive, I know it all and I'm gonna help you get it all right. A lot of us have experienced that in the church. We have experienced theology bros who know exactly how we're supposed to be doing things, what the right answers are, um, put it all together in a nice neat package and, and they have no hesitation about letting us know. In fact, even this morning, Bill and I received a message from somebody who you might consider a bit of a theology bro who wanted to make sure that we were coming into this morning with the right heart and spirit. You know, they, they knew what we needed. We needed to hear from God this morning. Theology bro gifted us with his wisdom. And, and man, I gotta, even as I say it, I feel a little harsh. I'm like, I know he had a good spirit, just like the gym bros. I'm sure had some good intentions whenever they came up to me in the gym. Um, but it just doesn't always feel helpful. We might experience it as sort of muscular and aggressive and a little lacking in compassion. A little, a little lacking. Is that how the book of James that we're reading today was written? And, and I just want to start out by arguing like, I don't think so. I do not think that James was a gym bro. I do not think he was a theology bro. That's not how I read him. Um, I don't think he was a systematic theologian trying to wrap it all up in a nice, neat package. This is the right way. In fact, I think he had a lot more in common with some of our theologians today who we might identify them in the stream of what we would call liberation theology. It could come out in womanist theology, written from uh, a black woman perspective, muharista theology. It's a theology that says, I do, and that's how I believe. Let's do it together. It's more about, so before it was orthodoxy, 
a right way of thinking. This is about orthopraxy, a right way of living. How are we actually going to do this thing together? And when we read, for instance, that trigger verse in the first chapter of James, I don't doubt, through a lens of orthopraxy, right living, we start to notice that that word doubt in the original Greek, it had nothing to do with beliefs. It wasn't about thinking. It's actually an active word. It's about hesitating physically, turning back physically. And so what I hear him actually saying is literally keep moving. Sure, you can have questions. You can struggle. Like our, our guest, uh, Dr. Peter Choi, who preached for us last week, you know, he talked about sometimes you soar, sometimes you run, sometimes you walk, sometimes you take a nap. Just keep moving. Don't turn back. Actually keep going. This is about how we live. There's a great uh, quote from a book that Bill is reading with our, our friend Nicole Makatrao. It's called Mujerista Theology by Ada Maria Isacia Diaz. And it goes like this. She says, the goal of Mujerista Theology is not to come up with a summa with three volumes entitled Systematic Theology, number one, number two, number three. The themes that Mujerista Theology deals with are those that are required by Latina's struggle for liberation. What I want us to hear here again is James is more in line with someone like this saying, I'm not trying to put it into a neat package for you. I'm saying, where do we see God in our everyday life? And how is that actually going to change things? It's what in Mujerista theology would be called lo cotidiano, everyday life, the daily. What if we actually took that as our question too? Where are we seeing God? in our everyday life? What if that was our big question, our starting point? Where do we see God together in our joys and our struggles? So uh, our passage today that launches us off into the book of James, it's gonna focus more in that area of struggle. How do we see God there? So our friend Charmaine Sumner is gonna read our passage for us today. Charmaine, whenever you're ready. Good morning. <laughs> Hold on, let me pull. No problem. Morning, One, two through four. Consider it pure joy, my siblings, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Charmaine. Um, and Brenna, thanks. I kind of feel like the sermon's over now. <laughs> it's just so good. I just kind of wanted to stop and just think about that. So feel free if you want to just sort of mute yourself and click off your video and, and just ponder the stuff Brenna's been talking about, or if you want to continue on, feel free. Um, but uh, a little context for, for James here. This is at the beginning of the book. And James is dealing with a super concrete life. He's talking about daily life. He's, he's not doing the systematic theology like Brenda was talking about. In fact, he only mentions the name Jesus twice in the whole book. Super unusual, right, for the New Testament. Uh, he's not trying to blow up all these big ideas. He's saying, look, I'm embedded 
in a in a community in a in a context and he's writing about what does it look like boots on the ground to follow jesus there and so he's writing to a primarily monocultural church all right this is probably after the big persecution in the early church um, in uh in chapter nine of the book of acts um, when uh, the Jews get driven out. Uh, most of the apostles get driven out of uh, uh, of Jerusalem. So most of the Jewish Christians, the apostles ended up staying there, but the Jewish Christians, most of them get sent out. And he's writing to them, and he's recognized, there's a lot of Jewishness in this letter uh, that he's writing to them, recognizing kind of their cultural heritage and all this stuff. And yet, in this monocultural, I mean, all the early Christians were, were Jewish. It's starting to, to break at the seams. It's starting to expand uh, because there are all these Jewish Christians now who live in primarily Greek contexts. And there's starting to be hints that just straight Greek people, like non-Jewish people, are coming into the kingdom of God. And you see it by the time you get to Acts 15, this letter that we're reading is probably written just before uh, Acts 15. Acts 15 is a big council in Jerusalem where they're like, oh man, what are we going to do with these outsiders, these ethnic you know, minorities in the church? And James is actually the guy who stands up and says this um, at the kind of, kind of the key, key moment in that... Uh, in that big debate in Acts 15, he says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And the Gentiles were anyone who wasn't Jewish. Um, and you'll see in the, in the book of Acts that it's uh, some black Africans, some white Europeans. These are the folks who are coming into the church. And James is, he sees us. This is the kind of community that he's dealing with. And he's also, he's pushing up against some of the traditions, the kind of the old um, Jewish heritage that, that has carried the church forward to this point in the church's life. And he's breaking with some of those traditions, some of the big ones. He's, he's saying, yeah, it's time to shift. It's time to change. So, for example, in the big covenant with Abraham, was the covenant of circumcision. And he's like, yeah, I think we're done with that. Uh, to quote uh, some Muharista theology again, uh, there's this great line where she says, those who do traditional theology call their way of proceeding faithfulness to the past. I call it blindness to the present. There's this idea, and she's being provocative there intentionally because she definitely wants to honor tradition in many ways. But uh, Isasi Diaz is, is writing about this idea like God is at work now. It, it, this is not ideas and um, some big picture thing. This is how you live your life. What is happening in your daily life? Lo cotidiano. What, what is in your everyday life? What's happening? Where is God there? So it, it's on the ground ethnically. It's on the ground in terms of 
uh, daily life issues that James brings up. It's on the ground when it comes to economic issues. Now, there are a lot of tensions uh, in the early church. Um, people were being excluded. People who didn't have as much money as some of the early Christians. It comes up a ton in this book because James is trying to say, like, how do we actually do this thing called following Jesus? And then there's the super crazy political context. Maybe no one can relate to this, but it was nutty, super nutty. So Pontius Pilate is out. Uh, you've got a couple of uh, a couple of Herods who now rule uh, over the area where Jerusalem is, which is where James is based in Jerusalem. And these these were the Agrippas. The the Herods were kind of like the Kennedys or the Bushes. You know, there's always another one coming along, right? To to, to rule over whatever political sphere. Uh, the Herods were not uh, known for their kindness, shall we say. Uh, they wrecked people. They wrecked communities. They, uh, they, they were ruthless. And so one of the things that's going on in James's community is the political rulers are leveraging their privilege, their power to detain, to jail, and even execute minority groups. And I mean, there's just all this going on. And so this is, what's, this is what James is writing about. This is his context. Um, and so you think about our world, right? I mean, our very intense political climate. You think about this global pandemic. I mean, just craziness. And what James is, is doing is saying, how do we live now? Now, where, where you have a family member who's sick, or you're dealing with kids trying to do online education, or, you know, huge national study, 42,000 people studied um, by the U.S. Census Bureau during the first part of COVID, said that oh, it's, it's more than one in three people living in America are expressing symptoms of clinical anxiety and depression. That's one in three. I mean, just think about that. So I'm, I'm looking at my screen here. So, you know, that's Brandon Shelby. Oh, that's Oscar, right? You know, that's, you know, that's Lewis Jackson. Oh, that's Sophia. I mean, it's one out of, that's a lot of people. And this is the real context that we're in and that God is saying, how do we figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus now? It, it's not an idea. It's, it's a real life wisdom um, to live, it out, live out following Jesus. Yeah, it's definitely not a stretch right now to think of this idea of trials and to somehow put it in to get a sense of what does it look like in the everyday? What, is it, what did it look like for James? What were his everyday struggles and the struggles of his community? Because this isn't just a book about one person. It's a book that's for a community. What does it look like for us? I want to actually kind of get into the, almost like the flow of this wisdom. How does this actually work out? And, and I was trying to think of like, where have I seen it work out in my life? in the life of 
my family, my close relationships, in my own community, uh, in our embodiment. That's really what this, this lens is. It's a lens of embodiment, faith in action, a whole life faith. So we start with verse two, and I'm going to switch translations here just for one that's a little more readable in some ways. Uh, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you. Consider it a gift. That is a bit counterintuitive. I don't know about you, but that is actually not my first response when I get into an accident with my car, when I have a big day planned and one of my kids gets sick. Uh, when there's an earthquake in the middle of the night, my first reaction is not necessarily to go, gift. What a gift. I think back uh, in the early years of my marriage, Israel, my husband and I, um, we did not have very much money. Uh, We started out as missionaries. Uh, We did campus ministry kind of work, but uh, the organization that we, we served with basically kind of set a salary for us, you know, that was supposed to be just enough for us to live on and be okay. But then we actually had to go out and do fundraising uh, to, to actually have that salary be paid. Uh, and so, you know, I remember starting out, we just, we just did not have much money, you know? So for instance, we had a really um, exact grocery kind of budget. And even on a good month, it meant all these um, debates, spirited conversations, some would call them fights, over how we spent the grocery money. Because when you have a little bit left over, do you use it to buy like a nice steak, which somebody might consider sort of like a necessity? Or do you use it to buy chocolate, right? Like these would be big conversations, spirited conversations, some might call a fight. And then there'd be the months where some of the, the donors, some of the people supporting us wouldn't, didn't give for whatever reason. And uh, we got a short paycheck. And now we're looking at not even having that grocery budget accounted for. Now we're looking at, you know, dipping into our small little bit of savings. And did I consider it a gift at the time? The additional spirited conversations that that would bring up? You know, I, I can't say that I felt that way. But now we go on to verse number three. Under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Can I tell you, first thing, that this can be a really, again, if we go with sort of like the theology bro perspective on this, this can feel really shaming. All your yuck is going to get just like shoved out in the open and you're going to see how miserable you really are when those trials come and you're going to have to deal with your junk. That's what that can feel like. I actually think there's another way. We could read it. A more compassionate lens that just says, yeah, some of your, um, the ways that you have coped, the ways that when you have a lot of energy, you can sort of, you can just deal with things better. They're, they're not going to operate anymore. And so you are going to have some raw reactions. There is going to be some rawness. Even maybe we could think of it as like some, some youngness. 
those sort of original reactions that you might have had when you were a kid and you hadn't learned to edit yourself yet. You hadn't learned to put on those filters. Some of that raw, some of that young stuff in you, yeah, it's gonna show. Some of that is gonna be beautiful, right? Some of it's gonna be really, really good. Like in these, these money struggles that I had with my husband early on, man, he's a generous person. He is a trusting person. Like I got to see that in those moments where I would be so much more stressed out than him a lot of the times. And yet he would still have this sort of like, but we still, we still have the ability to give. And we shouldn't cut out every fun thing in life. We still need to have some little bits of joy, you know, to plan for and, and to go and enjoy. And um, good stuff can actually show up in these times. And then there are places where you go, yeah, like some wound has been revealed because I'm not able to, you know, to kind of put those filters out there anymore in this, in this kind of more raw season. And so a wound is getting revealed. I remember having so many great conversations with Israel during that time about um, just what had formed us around money. You know, the, the experiences we had as kids in our families and in other places around money, how our, our parents dealt with money. Um, there were gifts that we talked about, like things that were just like, yeah, that was, that was so good the way we were formed around money in that way. We learned so much from our parents here. And, and then, oh, that experience, oh, you know, I, I actually don't wanna carry that forward. Maybe that's not actually how I wanna live. And it just revealed. At City Church, a lot of the times we call these Kairos moments. These moments where we just, it, it's revealed who we are. We, we, we sense God speaking into our life in a different way and saying, this, here's something where I just, I want to touch it. I want to call it out if it's a strength. I want to heal it if it's a hurt. And we actually get to decide. We get to say, how do we actually want to respond to God? How do we actually want to live this thing out? Because again, this word, um, this word faith life, again, it's not just your beliefs. This is your, your faith in action, your faith being lived out. And so now this many years past, I can look back at some of those early struggles and, and say, wow, it, it really was a gift. It was a gift to get to be formed together around money. In verse four, it puts it this way. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed. I didn't want to have money struggles. It was not the last time, and it probably won't be the last time that there will be money struggles in our life. But man, I'm glad for the formation. I'm glad for the shaping of those times that, that now a lot of times Israel and I can look at each other and we, we just know like, yeah, we want to be generous people. We want to be trusting people. Uh, we want to live in a way where we can have peace around money and we don't fight a lot about it. Uh, and that's just, even whether we have more or we have less, that's how we want to live. And that's how we want to be part of a community. Um, so for you guys, as, we, as we're thinking about trials, as we're thinking about struggles, where is the invitation? Where's the invitation to, to say, maybe it's not fun now, but maybe it will 
have fruit. I'm actually not sure if we can always sense it in the moment. Maybe it's, maybe it's more in the past. What do you think, Bill? Yeah. I mean, reflection does help uh, to gain a little perspective. Uh, and uh, there's certainly, I mean, one of the things that James points out is, um, you know, not every trial is a gift, right? So, you know, trials of many kinds is, is how the NIV translated it. You know, count, count it sheer joy when you encounter trials of, of many kinds, not trials of all kinds. Um, and there's a, there's a sense in which some things are just, they're just wrong. And, you know, sometimes there's, uh, sometimes we have the, uh, particularly people like me, have the tendency to overspeak and try to tell each other uh, how good their, uh, someone else's trials are. <laughs> um, and we miss because we just are seeing our own story. And I was, I was doing a video recording uh, for a podcast with some other churches here in Long Beach. Uh, that, that never got shown uh, because me and one of the other pastors kind of got into it. And it was really this great moment. Um, uh, Jared Wilkins is the head pastor over at Parkcrest. Great guy. And we were, we were talking about COVID. And I, I said, yeah, COVID is such a gift for the church so that blah, 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 blah. And uh, Jared said, COVID is not a gift. Jared's black. And uh, he's had family members get COVID and he's seen his community uh, decimated disproportionately by COVID. And there was this moment of like, oh, oh, that's right. There's some other stories here. Like I, I can tell my story and see how elements of, of the pandemic have been a gift to me to, to grow, to revalue what it means to be a local community, things like that but maybe I don't get to put that on everyone else. Um, I, I was talking with Brenda this morning. Brenda, would you just share maybe just super briefly your, your one little story this morning about, it was just, I just, it was helpful. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's good that I share the counterbalancing story, right? Because it's like, okay, I can look back at the money thing and say, yeah, this worked here. And yet, again, as I was thinking about what story might I share, there was one that I was like testing out and I was like, oh no, no, this is an example of the other kind. Uh, I was thinking uh, about a prior work experience uh, that I've, I've had. And, um, you know, I, I've pretty much done religious work since, since college. Um, and so, you know, this was, this was in a, another religious organization. Um, and there's a change in leadership. And all of a sudden, uh, with a change in leadership, there's a change in culture say a change in values and what had been a really wonderful place for me to, to work and to minister became a really, really challenging place for me to work and to minister. And for a couple years, really, I had this just constant feeling of frustration, you know, as I was uh, trying to advocate uh, for things that mattered to me, people that mattered to me, causes that mattered to me. And also a lot of self-doubt. Uh, as I look back at that time, there's often this feeling like I felt like I was looking in a twisted mirror uh, because the feedback that I was getting from uh, 
this this new leadership um, just made me feel very just maybe I was wrong maybe I was too much um, and so at the time I I just imagine I was probably I think I was working from this place of just like okay it's a trial it's a struggle persevere you know like push through what does God have for me in this and yet now I look back at it and I'm like okay the key lesson I learned my key lesson now in retrospect is leave sooner next time. It was damaging. It was a toxic environment for me. Um, it was bad. I would probably pull out that phrase spiritual abuse myself. And I wish I'd, I'd wish I'd left sooner. And that's actually the thing that, I mean, so did I learn something? Yes. But I don't think what I learned in that situation was to persevere. That one wasn't, it wasn't a gift in the same way. Yeah. And so it's super hard to distinguish when it's a, the trial is a gift and when it's just toxic and time to get out. And, you know, I think a lot of times we need community um, to, to discern that we need to, you know, have some time with God, uh, you know, go on our own, keep, keep going on our journey. Um, and I, I just want to encourage us, you know, as we sort of draw to a close here, you know, to, as we go through the book of James, uh, you know, we have these daily devotions. You can sign up for those. They'll be very practical uh, over the next uh, six or eight weeks. Um, but you're going to need each other. You're going to need some people in your life. Um, because the trials, they're here. They're coming. Sometimes they're just toxic, um, but a lot of times there's so much to learn and to, uh, to lean into. I wanted to close with just a, a brief, I, I was praying for a, a friend who, uh, he and his significant other are moving. And uh, I, I've had some experience moving before. And, uh, and so I was not, uh, he was sharing some about like, oh, the house, you know, the new place we're moving into this new home or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm not praying about that. So instead I sent him uh, this text message. I think we've got a slide of that, Joe. Um, and you can see his response. It was, it was a good moment actually for both of us. I said, well, that's exciting. Praying especially for you and your bride that the two of you would lean towards each other when there is so much temptation to let there be division and irritation in this process. Of course, that never happened to me, but I read about it in books. And he responded, yes, that definitely didn't happen yesterday. And I'm definitely not going to get coffee right now to get her heart back. <laughs> right? I mean, just this classic moment, right? Where, where I know, like, I have moved before. Uh, Katie and I actually moved furniture yesterday. And I literally had to stop like 10 minutes in and just pray, like, God, forgive me. Help me know, like, help me love my wife while we move furniture today. Um, these, they're trials. You're going to face them this week. We're going to need each other. We're going to need Jesus. Uh, we really are. And by God's grace, we'll grow. And by God's grace, he'll give us wisdom for the ones that we need to uh, move out of.